Welcome. This is In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Michael, what fun it's been to hear from listeners. Yeah, especially on the restart of this program. Yeah, it's so encouraging because sometimes, I don't know, in the, my darker moments, I think, ah, oh, nobody's listening. But then you hear someone who really responds. Oh, and, they're out there. Yeah, it's very encouraging. Here's proof. Tom Hammond. I don't know if you know Tom. I don't. All right. He writes. And he says, hi, Michael. Thank you for starting a new season of life in the studio. I just started listening to them. What I like most are the recordings from the Biblical Imagination series and other teachings that you recorded over the years. They remind me of the concert talks you made years ago. Yeah, now that's a long time ago. Concert talks were excellent. Thank yeah. you for bringing these teachings like these in the studio. Take care and thanks again. Someone took uh, all all the the introductions of songs from concerts and pl- spliced them all together. I see. And uh, I don't know how many. There were 20 or 30 of them. Okay. Yeah. Well, here's what's coming up on the program today. Later, we'll talk with uh, a lady I've known for a long time. She's a great person. Uh, Felicia Thompson will join us later. Yeah, what a privilege to to get to know her. I had not uh, spoken with her before, and uh, so encouraging. I'm I, I'm hoping she's going to come down to Nashville and help us out. So. She has a uh, ministry that she is a, a big part of called Resilient, and we'll learn what that's all about. But believe me, it, it's it's an exciting story. It really is. So that's coming up in the commentary section in a moment. Are oh, you going to take us to Luke chapter 7? Which is my favorite passage in the New Testament. I knew that. Yeah, so I'm excited <laughs> about that. All right, we'll get to that in just a moment here in the studio with Michael Card. And let's see, what else is going on? Uh, of course, the uh, new book and CD are out and have been for a while now. So yeah. listeners uh, hopefully are reading that and listening to the music. I hope that's I hope that's helpful. Uh, boy, it, it was uh, a long time in coming. When did you start the Hesed book? Well, I, I, I was telling people well, it was four or five years ago, but I found some of my original notes and some of the first uh, uh, books that I'd read about, it, and it was 10 years ago. So I've been, I've been on this for 10 years. <laughs> you can find it at michaelcard.com. Well, we're going to open with you singing a song that I, I really love this song, and I truly mean that. Mm-hmm. I remember listening to this. I believe it was on a little blue cassette that I had from Sparrow Records <laughs> way back in the day. A cassette. Can you believe that? I don't remember. What is it's a cassette? Called... <laughs> <laughs> the song is The Gentle Healer, and it's just such a tender song. I, I like this. Yeah, I, I, this is a, sort of an exercise of the imagination, and this is a man who, who keeps missing Jesus. Uh, Jesus has been there, and he gets there right after Jesus has already left. And uh, I don't know, I just thought it was an interesting experiment. Written long ago. Yes. Long ago, but wonderfully performed now by Michael Card here in the studio. The gentle healer came into our town today. He touched blind eyes and their darkness left to stay. And the one who had died just rose up straight away. The gentle healer came into our town today. The gentle healer came into our town today. He spoke one word that was all he had to say. And the one who gentle healer came into our town today Oh, he seems like just an ordinary man With dirty feet and rough but gentle hands But the words he says are hard to understand And yet he seems like just an ordinary man The gentle healer He left our town today I just looked around And found he'd gone away Some folks from town Who'd followed him They say That the gentle healer Is the truth And the town that that probably happened, that imaginary song probably happened in, had had to have been Capernaum. Had to be why? Well, because Capernaum is where, it's Jesus' favorite town. 
It's the town he relocates. After he gets kicked out of the synagogue in Nazareth, as far as we know, he never went back. And in the, in the Gospels, when it says his, he came to his hometown, with one exception, one time it means Nazareth, but the rest of the time it means Capernaum. Okay. So that becomes his town. Uh, I like to think he's in Peter's house because that's where we see him when mm-hmm. he's not in the synagogue. Mm-hmm. The remnants are still there today. And, and we yeah. can go there. Well, it's one of the most amazing things. I think if, if Christianity has a holy place. It's Capernaum. It's not Jerusalem. It's Capernaum. Jesus' footsteps are right there. It, it, we we can see the basalt walls of a room that he was in. And and again, I don't go to Israel to collect chill bumps. I'm not into that. <laughs> but um, it's a pretty remarkable place. They made a church out of it very early. So Peter's house is Peter's house. Capernaum is Capernaum. We know Capernaum. We know Peter's house. Well, we uh, we read about Capernaum in Luke chapter 7. We do. And, th- and this is my favorite uh, story, favorite for a lot of reasons. Uh, I refer to Luke as the gospel of amazement. He exhausts the language of amazement. Uh, very, uh, very typical Luke and phrase. They were amazed and astonished. Mm-hmm. When you hear, t- you know, it doubled up like that, that's <laughs> Luke. Only Luke speaks like that. And what happens is, Wayne, you, you start asking yourself, well, when is Jesus going to be amazed? Because to this point, you know, the shepherds are amazed and Jerry, uh, Mary and Joseph are amazed and, and uh, uh, the people are amazed. And uh, you're, you're starting to wonder, when is that going to happen to Jesus? And it happens in, in seven. And what amazes Jesus is Hesed. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's the this personification. There, well, there's this person who asks for it who asks for what he doesn't deserve, which means he understands something about the heart of God that his neighbors don't understand. So let's look at it. This yeah, is uh, read the passage for us. This is chapter 7. When he had concluded saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There it is. He comes home. A centurion's servant who was highly valued by him was sick and about to die. Now, centurions are the backbone of the Roman military. You know, you've probably heard that. This man is almost certainly a Gentile. Uh, he has known ancient warfare. He's probably killed people with his bare hands. This is a Navy SEAL, yeah, right? This yeah, is a yeah, bad right. dude. But uh, he's been impacted by the God of Israel, and the first place we see that is he cares about his slave. Hmm. Romans are notoriously uh, cruel slave owners, hmm. but this man... Uh, cares about this slave. Tells us something right there about it. He's about been, him, doesn't it? He's been impact. I mean the first the first group of commandments after the Ten Commandments are laws to protect slaves. So slavery in Israel is 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 not like it is in the rest of the ancient world. So this man is clearly a God fearer. We'll meet more of those in fact, we'll meet God-fearing centurions in Acts. So yeah. this is the first one. So his servant is uh, sick and about to die. Yep. And uh the centurion heard about Jesus. Uh, when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him. So we're going to talk to this Jewish guy. Well, I'm going to send my Jewish friends who are elders in the community requesting him to come and save the life of his servant. Uh, when they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is worthy for you to grant this. Now, that is Judaism in a nutshell, right? Hmm. Why, Jesus, why should you care about this guy? Well, he, he donated money to our synagogue, and he loves our people, and he's worthy. Now, that's that's their mindset, right? okay? But that's clearly not the centurion's mindset. Uh, he loves our nation and has built our synagogue, and, and you can see the foundations of that first century synagogue. They're still there. In fact, they built a synagogue on top of it. Huh. Um, Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house— the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself since I am not worthy. See the difference? Mm-hmm. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. And that's an, a, another indication that he's a Gentile because we all know, we know this from uh, from Acts, that Jews don't go into Gentile homes. You know why they don't, Wayne? Why? Because Gentiles practiced abortion. Oh. And in Judaism, a Gentile home was looked upon as a tomb. I've never heard that before. Yeah, that's, that's why. Hmm. So I'm not worthy to have you come. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. Now, this is a wealthy man who everyone reveres, but he doesn't uh, think so much about himself. I'm not worthy. I'm not even worthy to have you come to my house. I'm not even worthy to talk to you myself. But, but here's, say the word. <laughs> yeah, here's, the, here's, the, here's where it gets amazing for Jesus anyway. But say the word. 
and my servant will be healed. Okay, so this man has recognized that Jesus has this authority. And then what we have now, and this is to me the, the most remarkable part of this passage, we have a little lecture on authority from a Roman centurion. Who's the epitome of authority. Right, who knows all about authority. So, uh, for I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and you better believe he goes. I inserted that <laughs> That's the part. card translation. Right, okay, right, right, right. You better believe he goes. And to another one, come. You better believe he comes into my servant, do this, and you better believe he does it. The option to say no is is not there. And what what I like to bring up here is a, uh, there's a Roman military term that I think encapsulates this idea of uh, understanding authority, and it's the word decimate. Now we we have that word, yes, right, yeah. And for us, decimate means to tear tear Just something destroy. up, destroy. Right, a bomb decimates yeah. the building, but Just that's utterly destroys. Yeah, and that's not what the word originally meant. It's got the word deca for ten in there, and in in uh, in Roman military uh, uh, language, to decimate a legion uh, means that every tenth person uh, is or when they're ordered is uh, uh, commit suicide. Ooh. Or, or there are two different versions of it, or they are beat to death by the other nine. So they, if, a, if a legion performs poorly in battle, the, the emperor can order that they be decimated, and there are examples of this. Um, and that means they line up and they count off to ten. And you hear soldiers, one, two, three, four, five, ten, right? And every tenth person at a, at a command from, at a, from the commanding officer uh, every tenth person steps forward and falls on his sword. Unbelievable. Now, so this is and this is that guy's world. And so what he's saying is, look, this is my world. I understand authority. I'll I'll fall on my own sword if I'm commanded to. And the remarkable thing is, say, he's saying, Wayne, and you've got it. Hmm. I know about authority, and you've got it. So all you got to do is say the word. Hmm. Now that is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and it's a and, good example of us just reading that so quickly and in, in, in glossing right over it. Yeah, and 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 my point is, if you've been listening to the text and waiting for Jesus to be amazed, you've got to stop and ask yourself, what just happened? What amazed Jesus? And what amazes Jesus is this man is asking for what he acknowledges he doesn't deserve, which is Hesed. Verse nine: Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. Yeah. And then turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. Yeah. And, and, and look back. What do we have? We have the Jewish elders saying, do this because he deserves it. And Jesus is bringing in the kingdom of God, which is based on a different sort of economy. And the idea is, uh, here's a man who acknowledges that he doesn't deserve it, but he asks for it anyway. And that's, that's what we got to get or we don't get the kingdom. Jesus, I don't deserve this. But I want you to give it to me anyway. And when we do that without without knowing it, we're asking for hesed. When the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing, this Roman centurion, he has no right to expect anything from Jesus. He's a Gentile, right? Uh, when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. And I think this is really a story about uh, about Heston. And, and ten, verse 10 is interesting. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. And my point is the the the, the miracle happens off stage. Uh-huh. The miracle yeah, really right. isn't even the point. Sure, right? We don't get to see that. We just yeah. assume it happens. Yeah, it wasn't for show. No, and it and the, the miracle of this passage is the faith of the centurion. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily. I mean, this is a. I call this in absentia. Jesus just says, "Go home." You know, that's it's no big deal. Your servants, your servants healed, huh. and they and and Jesus does this a number of times. Go home. You know, your child as well. That kind of thing. He heals in absentia. But there's so many details we'd like to fill in on the story, aren't there? There are. Um, I I was just uh, up in uh, a Rapid City, South Dakota, and um, I. Taught a class on Jesus, and I signed a paper, and the kids are all groaning. Oh, they don't want to write this paper, right? <laughs> and a young woman comes up, and uh, she said, "Oh, she's trying to get out of the paper." See, she says, "I don't even know why I took this class. I'm a math major, right?" I said, "Okay, you don't have to write a paper." And she kind of brightened up. I said, "All I want from you is a number. That's all I want. I want a number. I want you to calculate 
the percentage of the life of Jesus that we actually have in the Gospels. Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. She got so excited. (laughs) And so she did way more work than anybody else. She had pages and pages of calculations. And what she did, she went through all, all four Gospels. She harmonized all the stories so she didn't duplicate anything. Then she estimated in minutes how long each scene took. That's incredible. Oh, it was it's unbelievable. And you got some free research out of Absolutely. it. I, I see right through you, I, Mike. I'm giving, I'm giving her credit, though. <laughs> okay, I'm going to let everyone know. I'm okay. not saying I came up with this on my own. <laughs> okay. But this is the number she came up with, Wayne, uh, 0.09. She said, if the life of Jesus is $100, we have nine cents Cent. of it in the Gospels. So if you're talking about details— there's so many more details that we would love to have, but you and I, are, I think we are, call ourselves conservative, you know, fundamentalist sort of believers, and so that means we also believe that the Bible's perfect. Mm-hmm. And I we think we have what God wanted us to have. Absolutely, point zero nine is the perfect number. Yeah. It's it's what God knew we needed to have of the life of Jesus. And yeah, the so, old showbiz uh, motto is "Leave them wanting more." Yeah, you know, yeah. and we want more, don't we? And we're going to get it someday. We de- yeah, we we definitely will. And I, I have lots of I have lots of questions. I don't know about you. I want to know <laughs> well, what he wrote in the sand, yeah, right? right? John yeah. eight. I've got lots of questions. I got lots of questions. So, uh, we don't have to think very hard about what those questions are. No. So. So this is your favorite passage. It is. It is because uh, it brings together uh, the, the, the concept of hesed. It, it brings together the sort of the Gentile and the Jewish world as they come together, and it happens in my favorite my favorite town. If Jesus' favorite town is Capernaum, which I believe it was. Well, since uh, you've been there, favorite. tell us more about Capernaum today. Well, well, Capernaum, like I said, it's still there. It's it's been it's been excavated. Uh, you can. Uh, I've begged. It's owned by the Franciscans. I've begged them to let me hop over the wall and actually walk down the the uh, alleyway between Peter's house and. Uh, I had coffee with them. I've I, you know I've really tried. I, to, I can just see you oh, doing yeah. that. Oh, I yeah. did. I did my magic, and it's never worked. You know, and it's never worked. But it's it's eighty three feet from Peter's house to the synagogue. How do you know that? I've read the archaeological dig reports. I mean, I know these. Uh, this is the kind of meaningless numbers that I can give you. So it's eighty three feet from. What, and my question is, what sort of person lives eighty three feet from church, right? And that person is Peter. Yeah. But uh, we can see these are the alleyways he walked. Uh, he walked in. This is uh, these are homes that we we see the the, the foundations of these old uh, black basalt homes. And I imagine you know people coming into a room and saying, "Oh, the Nazarene, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus of Nazareth is here in mm-hmm. town again." Mm-hmm. And but most remarkably, and there's one room in particular that that they turned into a chapel early on, and they built a, a Roman or a Byzantine chapel uh, on top of. And that's Pete, that was Peter's house, and this one home in Peter's house. And so many things happened there. The Tearing the hole in the roof, you know, that happened there. The healing of Peter's mother-in-law, mm-hmm. that happened there. Yeah. It all happened in this one place. And they built a big, ugly sort of uh, flying saucer church on top of I've it. I've seen photos of it, Yeah, right? they've been yeah. building churches on top of this place for <laughs> centuries, but... Uh, but it, it's still there, and remarkably, uh, you can see this place. It's my favorite place. While we still have Luke chapter 7 open in front of us, what, what's the lesson for us? Well, the lesson for us is that if we understand the heart of God, which, which is what's so amazing about this Gentile centurion who comes from a completely different world, he understands that he can ask for, boldly ask for, what he doesn't deserve it's not based on the fact that he's worthy. He does not play that card. His the Jewish elders play they that tried. card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and hey, that's legitimate, right? I mean, if I donated a building, I would think <laughs> yes, I'm worthy. Right. We see it all the time, don't we? But this this man understands authority in the first place, and he understands the heart of God in a way that uh, no one else that Jesus has encountered understands. Uh, I I I don't deserve it. Nevertheless, I want you to do it. Not not based on my worthiness, but based on your loving kindness on on the on the the heart of the of the of the God that you represent. That who's your who is your father uniquely? Well, just as you had an assignment for those students in, uh, I think you said North Dakota. Yeah, I have an assignment for our listeners. Okay, go read Luke chapter seven. Yes, and do it in a translation that you're not familiar with. Yes, give yes. a give a fresh new look at yeah. this passage and think about what we've talked about here today. And you mentioned the Nazarene, which is what Jesus was. You wrote a song again many years ago called the Nazarene. Yep, and it it basically talks about the the, the fundamental values of this person, who uh, 
he could have uh, uh, used his power. Uh, the, the, the main line in the song is basically an adaptation from Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar said, I came, I saw, I conquered, I conquered right? Vini, vidi, vici is in, in Latin. Every, if you study Latin, that's the first thing you learn. And Jesus, he, he has a completely different equation. I came, I saw, I surrendered. I gave up everything. And that's the basis of Jesus' power. And I think that's the sort of thing that this uh, Roman centurion would have recognized. fascination of the stars And as he wandered through this weary world, he wondered and he wept, for there were so few who'd listened to his call He came, he saw he surrendered all, so that we might be born again And the fact of his humanity was there for all to see was unlike any other man, and yet so much like me. The Nazarene could hunger, and the Nazarene could cry, and he could laugh with all the fullness of his heart. And those who hardly knew him, and those who knew him well, could feel the contradiction from the start. He came, he saw, he surrendered all, so that we might be born again. And the fact of his humanity was there for all to see, for he was unlike any other man, and yet so much like me. He came, he saw, he surrendered all So that we might be born again And the fact of his humanity Was there for all to see For he was unlike any other man And yet so much like me used to love to play that song on radio uh-huh. and back in the day when i was more or less uh not really a dj but you know what i mean uh-huh. yeah the nazarene thank young you. whippersnapper yeah thank you for playing that michael <laughs> uh, and by the way the, the conversation we had on luke 7 that's the kind of thing that's in your new book on yeah Hesed. trying to trying to engage with the text at the level of your imagination the book is inexpressible Hesed and the mystery of god's loving kindness and we're happy to say the book and the cd are out now and Listeners yeah. can uh, get a hold of that through michaelcard.com. Yeah, so. ten, 10 songs on the on the kindness of God. Huh. Well, that's you're so good at that. Well, you're taking I think a it's theme a cool, and 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 just running with it. With I musically. think it's a cool idea. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a cool idea. <laughs> well, we sure appreciate the effort. Thank you so much. Um, we sometimes, from time to time, encourage listeners to write to us and send us a song request. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine and Joe Carlson's, uh, Pete Campbell. You so, know Pete. You've met Pete before. Yeah, you're, so you're just doing this because he's your buddy. Yeah, sure, of course. Okay, Why cool. not? Insider's a favorite here. <laughs> uh, no, Pete actually listens to our podcast. Thank you, Pete. And he wrote to us and he says, I think Unveiled Hope is an album that had a great effect on me. Mm. Still does. I find myself at times when I'm not even thinking about it, singing Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. So uh. he says, I'll make that my official request. He wants to hear you sing You Are Worthy. Okay. Well, that's a song that comes from Revelation. That whole album is uh, the, all the hymn fragments in Revelation set to music, which, believe it or not, was the easiest record I ever wrote because they're already lyrics. They're there, yeah. Right. Yeah, I sure. mean, Revelation is a bunch of songs. And uh, that passage is, is from uh, chapter 5, which is my favorite passage. Okay. It opens when John is weeping because no one's worthy to open the scroll. And the, the cool paradox is one of the elders jabs him and says, stop weeping. And then he says, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So oh, John man. looks up expecting to see yeah. a lion. Yes. What does he see? He sees a lamb. Yeah. I think that 
that tension is just incredible. And so, um, what is the the passage again? And, well, that's that that's five one through about seven, and then eight picks up um, when he took the scroll. The four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which in uh, which are the prayers of the saints. And then they sing the song: "You're worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood." You are worthy. We're going to ask uh, you to sing that, Michael. And by the way, if you have a request, email us in the studio at michaelcard.com. I wept for none was worthy to open the scroll or to look upon what it contained. Then a voice said, See the lion of the tribe of Judah. So I looked to the lion, but saw a lamb that was slain. in the studio with Michael Card. We have a guest coming up in just a moment. Michael's going to sing again for us in just a moment. And by the way, I mentioned our website, michaelcard.com, and the email address in the studio at michaelcard.com. But are you following Michael on Facebook and Twitter? You can do that as well. Thanks for listening. We'll get underway now with Michael singing Soul Anchor. in the storm and you can find it if you will believe it's a soul anchor hold on to the hope it is a soul anchor and hold on to your courage before we call he answers us with hope And certain of the things we do not see For we are told by one who cannot lie And in this hope is our security It's a soul anchor Hold on to the hope it is a soul anchor And hold on to your courage Call, he answers us with hope. Oh, fast. 
to your courage Before we call he answers us Before we call he answers us with hope song. Thank you, Michael. I never hear you sing that song without thinking of being in the catacombs of Rome and seeing anchors in the walls That's of the right. catacomb as an early Christian symbol. Before they You're used, the one that told me about Before that, they so. used crosses, yeah. they used anchors. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Soul anchor. Well, Dr. Felicia Thompson, we know her as Felicia, joins us here now. Uh, Felicia, how are you today? I'm well, thank you. And you? I'm doing great. We're, we're so happy that you've joined us here in the studio with Mike and Felicia, we've known each other for a long time, but God has really used you in some remarkable ways in the Chicago area. Talk to talk to us about what you do and what is resilient. Mm-hmm. Well, um, as, as some of you may know, that my husband has been a jail chaplain for well over twenty five years at one of the largest uh, single site prisons in the country, and with that comes. All that you need, uh, I think he married me because I was out to be a social worker. <laughs> I could be a blessing to him. And so we began our community work back in 1978 when we were wow. first married and have been in the city and in the suburbs and around the country just uh, trying to, to talk to people about what it means to really give of yourself, to um, to give, um, as, as we'll find out what Hesed means, without expecting anything in return, and mm-hmm. what a blessing it is to watch communities grow and families and people grow together when they understand that concept. Yeah. Mike, your book is out on Hesed, and here we are with, uh, I think, a great example of someone who really practices it. Well, I, th- I think you see the work of a ministry like Resilient and what Felicia's doing. And and I think before, my, my struggle was I didn't have a word for that. Well, that's kind of like mercy. It's kind of like grace. Well, they're being kind. They're showing people love. And one of the good things about being, a, being able to put a name uh, to what this is, and, and biblically, this is Hesed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. And it's reciprocal. You, I mean, I'm, I'm sure Felicia can tell, you know, you, you get back as much as you give, and all that's a part of Hesed. About resilient. I mean, it came out of a church concept to get outside the walls of what at that time is and still is a very large suburban church. I mean, the concept was that poverty was only in the city. Poverty was 10 minutes away from the suburb. But no, it... it Need is everywhere, and so this was born out of what we knew to be a lot of immigrant families living in the area, a lot of folks that had trouble after 2008 when the markets fell, losing their homes and their families, a lot of service jobs being taken away and moved or computerized, and so we began to do some research for about two years to figure out that it was less than 10 minutes away from the church, and even less than that, actually. So our pastor had that burden, and we started to share that vision amongst the elders and leadership and in the church. And as we uh, launched Resilient um, last year, it became its own 501c3, and that includes um, how God has opened the door for us to be inside high schools, basically sharing the gospel without words. Um, Mm -hmm. We are Two or three grammar schools uh, were being invited into junior high schools, and that's just opened doors for us in a fantastic way to be able to share. We were talking about your ministry before Joe Carlson was just telling me about what you, you, you guys are doing, and something that I had never even imagined uh, he told me you do is teaching people how to who don't know how to read their own language. Mm-hmm. I, I'd never thought that that would be a, a, a part of a ministry. And yeah, that people well, couldn't read their own language. Mm-hmm. Well, it's hard to have, and these are folks who speak other languages, um, South Asian people, people from Mexico, from Iran, uh, Arab countries, that cannot take an ESL class because you have to be literate in your own language before you can even think about uh, trying to uh, learn another language. Wow. And so we have women who speak those languages who just go to a grammar school when they drop their preschool and grade school children off and then go to the cafeteria with a box of coffee, literally mm-hmm. a box of coffee and some pastries from that culture, and just sit and have conversations. And most of these women, their grandmother and their family, their mothers, did this, and that's how they became um, fluid in their own language, but then able to learn English at the same time through conversation. So God's blessed. Um, it took about two years' worth of work, and all those ladies are now working and driving and wow. and 
towards green cards for themselves. I can't imagine how lost I would be if I were suddenly placed in a country where I didn't know the language and didn't know. I mean, Mike, have you, can you imagine and, and what that's couldn't, like? And couldn't read my own language. Right, yeah. So I could even start the process yeah, of learning another so, language. you'd feel so out of it, wouldn't you? No, yeah. I, I, I can't imagine that's... that's uh, I have a pretty good imagination. I can't even imagine that. <laughs> so tell us more about what it's like. Uh, how does it work, Felicia? And I know we're going to talk about how mm-hmm. you bathe everything in prayer, and we're going to get mm-hmm. to that point, but just tell us the process involved here. Well, the process would be if, if um, resilient, if you, if a person wanted to get involved, the first thing we do is we start to talk about something called missional living. Mm-hmm. And that's a little different from doing a service project where you go, you do something, you feel good about what you've done, and you think those people are great to have had me for that day, and this is what we accomplished. (laughs) Missional living is a lifestyle, Mm -hmm. and it is born out of um, what Scripture tells us about whatever you do, you do in word and deed, you do it, you know, because I've I've commanded you to, and you're doing it to me. So the whole whole passage in Matthew 25 where God is saying, um, you do this uh, for other folks, you're doing it unto me. And I think that missional living means that it's not just a mission trip. It's not just a one-time experience. It's a lifestyle. So as we move and live on the buses and the streets of the cities and the towns and then the Walgreens or whatever store we're in, um, that's mission field for us. To do that is is takes a prayerful attitude. And missional living is living and being bathed in prayer and looking for opportunities to serve. So this is akin to like John Perkins or Dolphus Weary, the idea of open the door of your life to someone who's not like you and and start that recreation of the community? Very much so. Very yeah. much so the Christian community development principles, yeah. Okay. Do you find it hard to get people involved? Um. I think everybody's anxious to get on, but when they realize that they can't go at it the way they want to, you have some that drop back. Because um, Mm -hmm. oftentimes when you are satisfied in your own life, and and what I mean by satisfied is when you have what you need and you know that God is providing for you or you think that maybe even you're providing for yourself, the whole idea of being told, no, you can't approach people in that way, is sometimes a turnoff for folks. So we lose people. Because um, you know they're not willing to learn any new way of doing anything, <laughs> but then those who stick with it, those who get the concept, those who are curious enough to want to stick it out, find that um, they are blessed beyond measure, and they build relationships that are ongoing. Yeah, I know you're not looking for just success stories, but can you just share out of someone's life what difference it's making? Uh, yeah, I could. I. Um, I mentioned to you about the four women who um, started coming and were were suspicious and didn't want to tell us who they were. Um, a lot of times the countries they come from, men are dominant culture, and that threatens them when their women begin to learn. But these uh, hmm. started out with five women. It was down to four. And those women, like I said, are all working, uh, learning to drive. And when they told me they were teaching them to drive, I said, please don't tell me that. I don't think we're insured <laughs> that. But, um, and they're... they're uh, were going downtown for the first time in 12 years. They had been in America and had never seen downtown mm-hmm. Chicago. So those are four. But then when it's personal to me is in the high school I went, and we were just praying, and we walked the high school, two or three of the ladies and I, and prayed around it and asked for God to use our church and the people there in the way he saw fit. And as we did that, we were invited uh, to come in, and the young lady walked up to me, and I happened to be African-American, and she had not seen adult African-American people in the school for no reason other than report card problems. <laughs> and so I was sitting at the table, and she said to me, um, uh, the counselor brought her up to me, who happened to be a Christian himself, and said, she needs you. And um, we looked at each other like, really? Wow. And uh, we began to talk, and I connected her. I want to be a lawyer. And I said, really, how are your grades? We talked through that. And I said, let me connect you with a woman in our church who is a lawyer. And she happened to look like us, too. Mm-hmm. So for this woman to have two women, you know, who are, the God is blessed to be educated in her life, she worked with her initially. I connected her with my daughter, who was at that time an attorney. 
And then she ended up with just me. So I have become, uh, she is now in her second year or third year at University of Illinois mm. in political science major pre-law program. Mm, wow. And so she comes back and she says, um, I'm taking you to lunch this time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wonderful story. Uh, yeah. you've, you've mentioned prayer, and I know this. you consider this to be the key to this whole thing, don't you? Yeah, yeah. We This was bathed for two years in prayer and research, and and we took a team of about six to eight of us, and we just started interviewing with another group, um, the high school folks, the judges, the police officers, the people that work in the uh, 7-Eleven. <laughs> we just said, if you could do anything in your community, what does it need, and how can we come alongside you? Mm. Not how can we create it, do it, take it over, but how do we come alongside you to help your people become resilient? And that's where the name came from. Ah. Now, you're going into public schools where you can't openly, obviously, evangelize, but but I mean, so you're, but by showing up, I, mm-hmm. my guess is by even just being there, you're showing them mm-hmm. that kind of uh, that kind of kindness that comes from the gospel. Yeah, uh, and it's consistent. Yeah, and see so yeah, how what does that look like? I mean, you, I think to 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 tell us the story of this young woman who's now becoming a lawyer is a pretty, it's a pretty, hard to beat that example. But you have some mm-hmm. others. Yeah, we have we have a, a perfect example is um, one at the drama school. One of the grammar school children died, actually was killed, mm-hmm. and um, the family didn't have anyone to perform the services, mm-hmm. didn't know a church, didn't know anybody. But one of our guys who was on with us uh, a few years back, uh, Mike Murphy, um, went to that family and was able to minister to them mm-hmm. because he said, had we known, we would have made sure you had what you wanted. And that got around, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that Here's, we don't go to church. We may even practice Islam. Mm-hmm. We may be Catholic. We may be not believers. But here's a place that says you're welcome here, that says we care about you and your family when you're hurting. And it, it began to, people get began to notice. Yeah. And so now we're being asked by the junior high schools, please come in, do this program for us. Mm. Please come in and help our families. Please do that. So we're... Um, Right now, trying to drum up enough volunteers to make this happen for two of the new schools, junior high schools. How many people do you have actively working with the Resilient right now? I think over the last two years, we've had about 90. Wow. Currently, we might have about 40 and that are actually in the trenches that are wow. um, doing Kids' Hope programs. We're doing um, the after-school program initiative with another organization. Another thing about this prayer thing is it helps us to not recreate the wheel. So instead of creating an after-school program through Resilient, we found that there's another group already doing it that wants to do it, and we've partnered with that group to say, we'll give you volunteers. We're not Mm. uh, competing with one another. There's Mm. enough to do in the kingdom of God to do that. And so let us come alongside and make sure that we get a quality program for the kids who need it. Yeah. I think it's interesting. You mentioned that yours is it, this grew out of a suburban church, mm-hmm. and only a few miles away was this whole community of need that you discovered. Yeah. I'm sure that's yeah. true in just about every uh, city in the country, isn't it? I think so. I think we have, you know, uh, uh, the scripture talks about all we like sheep, and I've gone astray, and we 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 need. Um, the regeneration through the Word of God and God's people to be um, lighthouses to us. And so if we look, I'm sure you'll find a nursing home down the street. I'm sure you'll find a lonely neighbor on yeah. your block. Um, people need the old song. People need the Lord. Yeah. And they, they get Him through us. You know, they see Him. They feel Him. They touch Him. They are changed by Him through us. Look up. The fields are white unto harvest, mm. but yes. the workers are few. Yeah, yep. Well, we sure are appreciative of what you're doing, and it's a challenge to us, and hopefully some listeners, too, to get involved in something like this, Felicia. Yes, Resilient is, is in the western suburbs of Chicago, and if you look us up, we're in, uh, we're in Villa Park, and we'd love to have you train you, uh, become a part of your life so that you can be blessed as well. Yeah, who was it that said it's amazing what you can get done if you nobody credit. T- and yeah. no one has to take credit yeah, for it? yeah. Well, we're Felicia. We're starting a a Bible college in a um, public housing area where I close to where I live in Franklin, 
we had all these great ideas. We're going to do a library. We're going to get these kids in and get them serious about, you know, serious Bible study. And then all of a sudden, one of the guys stopped and said, "Um, why don't we go around to some of the pastors and ask them what they need? Because it was such a cool idea, right? We had this yeah, really cool yeah. idea. Had we prayed? No. It, no, we didn't even pray. It was a cool <laughs> idea. So uh, so you're, you're, uh, you're a corrective to, I mean, we, we're just discover- in, the, in the midst of discovering that. But we've got, someone donated this beautiful, we have a beautiful library. But, oh, wow. And I think it's going to be a part of it. But, we, you know, we, we didn't ask anybody what, they, what mm-hmm. they needed. But we wanted to do some reconciliation work. Just by having young kids studying the Bible together from a couple of yeah. different communities, that that's a cool idea. But so. maybe we should pray first, huh? Yeah, I think you should probably just gather those folks who are like you. And and, and when the community owns it, Michael, yeah, it will always exist. If you were, to, if God called you someplace else tomorrow because they own it, it's yeah. theirs. Yeah, you know? yeah. Wonderful. Thank you, Felicia. God bless you, Thank and you. all the Thank volunteers you. that work with you—the ones that really understand and get it—that's that, what encourages mm-hmm. me. Is somebody Amen. is willing to really do it without any credit. So, thank Amen. you. Thank you both. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Felicia. What a terrific lady! So glad that she could join us here today, Michael. There's a song that you sing that I think would be appropriate right now. It's called "By Your Name" because when we do these things, it's it's in the name of Jesus that we're doing. We're not looking for credit for ourselves. It's in the name of Jesus that we. We do these things. So this is called By Your Name. Michael Card sings it in the studio. I failed again to make the mark. I've lost my way once more. I tried to do it by myself like so many times before. But now again I turn to you. I'm hungry and confused. Now my strength's dissolved away And I feel like I've been used If you leave me to myself, oh Lord It will always be the same It's you who'll have to hold my hand And protect me by your name picture that I want you to look at and okay. respond to. All right. You just pulled this out of your Bible. Yeah, yeah. That's Denny Denson. Right. With you in the, stu- in the studio at Mole End. Right. It's when we were making radio shows. Oh, yeah. Boy, that brings back memories. Yeah, he was a remarkable person. He he began uh, his, uh, his uh, ministry, I don't know what you call it, ministry, but he began his... Uh, life. Life <laughs> in Chicago. In the streets. And became yeah. a Black Panther. Yeah. And he used to say, I was a man who was clothed with violence. Mm-hmm. And he said he came to faith as about an 18-year-old uh, person. He said, God took the, that garment of violence off me and clothed me with a, the garment of grace. Oh, that's a beautiful picture. Yeah. And so here we are during the MLK holiday week. Mm-hmm. And Denny and I actually marched together. Did in Frank. Oh, yeah. Every, every year we have uh, Martin Luther King Day and we marched. And to get to, I have a picture of him and my son Nathan and I marching together. It was an incredible thing. And one of the things that Denny taught me, and we've been talking about prayer in this program, 
and ministries that come out of prayer. And what a lot of people have forgotten is all those marches in the early days of the civil rights movement, those marches began at prayer meetings. And the march itself is just sort of an enacting of what God uh, had told them when they That's prayed together. That's very interesting. Yeah. So all those things we talk about, freedom that we're, you know, we're asking for, uh, um, uh, asking for God what we, you know, what we don't deserve, that sort of thing, hesed, uh, showing loving kindness, all those things that the Bible tells us about that we ask God for, um, that's what they were marching for. Yeah. And uh, Well, you've we, been shaped by some really great people. Um, Denny, now with the Lord, is certainly yeah. one of them. Yeah. I know how close you were. Ben Johnson is another yes, person yeah. that had, had marched for civil rights. Yeah. That uh, and for, Scott, Our own Scott Rowley, who's been on this program talking about being there that on the I yeah. Have a Dream Day. Scott was there. He was 11 years old. His father said, somebody's speaking down on the mall today. <laughs> and it's Martin Luther King and the I Have a Dream speech. And at 11 years old, Scott heard that speech. Yeah, that was really quite a moment. It had to be. Yeah. And it changed his life. I mean, Scott has been uh, uh, working for reconciliation and, and relocation, uh, John Perkins, Dolphus Wary, those that whole world. Uh, I would have never known that world if it wasn't for Scott Rowley. Hmm. Well, Michael, thanks for everything that you brought to the table here today. The, was, the, the friend that we met. It was and a the, good day. The music that you brought, it was uh, it's very helpful. We're thinking of Felicia now and, and all the folks down on Roosevelt Road and the impact that she's having there. Yeah, God bless her. Let's pray for them. So we pray for each other. And what's happening is the, the prayers of the saints are being, are being acted out. And that's what we're celebrating with MLK Week. Yeah, let's take this perspective to heart as we remember Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. throughout this week. Well, we hope you'll send us your questions and insights gained from this program. You can reach us several ways. Send your email to inthestudio at michaelcard.com or find us on Twitter or Facebook when you search for Michael Card. Michael's new book and CD are now available. Find out how to order a copy of Inexpressible, Hesed, and the Mystery of God's Loving Kindness when you stop by michaelcard.com. And subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Google Play. For all of us on the team, Ron Davis, Lauren Kosky, Ashley Smith, Lance Mansfield, Jeff Jones, and our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next week for another session in the studio with Michael Card.